Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, hello there. Welcome to, uh, geez, the last Friday in August. Guess what it is. Last day in August is uh, what it is and the uh, Labor Day weekend uh, ahead of us, which I hate to tell you is the kickoff, kick, kickoff, kickoff of the um, political season. And it is immediately after Labor Day that those ads start coming at a greater and greater clip and uh, I just hate to imagine um, what our radio and television is going to be uh, sounding like, <laughs> oh dear, uh, for the next uh, two and a half months, uh, or two months. In the last uh, week or so in October and heading into the election, um, I, I find it usually uh, best to just turn them all off it's gonna be ugly uh but i have some uh relatively i think good news to report this involving uh, the latest uh washington post uh abc news poll i think i mentioned it yesterday but uh i didn't have all the numbers and the numbers show that uh I think there is a clear Trump weariness uh, setting in uh, with Manafort's uh, conviction and uh, Cohen's uh, guilty plea and uh, the president's continued unhinged and uh, repulsive behavior. Um, people, I think, are starting to turn away. I I don't know if anyone will ever be able to tote up how many Trump supporters uh, left him this week uh, with his treatment of John McCain. I am willing to bet that peeled off. I mean, people say that these these Trump people are untouchable, that he could kill, you know, kill someone and they'd still hang with him. One by one by one by one, uh, individuals in that group might be reaching um, their threshold. And you see evidence of it every once in a while with a letter to the editor or uh, something said to you, that's it, I can't anymore, you know, whatever. So his approval rating uh, now, according to this latest poll, is uh, his disapproval rating is higher than it has ever been, and it is now 60%. 6-0% of the uh, Americans polled uh, say that this guy is, is somebody who should, in fact, not be uh, president's. President, the poll says that a majority of the public has turned against Trump and is on guard against his efforts to uh, go after the Justice Department and uh, its special counsel, 
Robert uh, Mueller. Uh, nearly half, 49%, okay, we'll call that half. Half of Americans now say that Congress should begin impeachment proceedings. Uh, that's more than don't say, by the way. 46% say no, uh, they sh should not. 64% uh, say he should not fire Sessions, which he clearly is going to do. Uh, only 36% of Americans now say they approve. And that's down, guys. It was up as high as 46, 47% at, at some points. 36% approval rating uh, now. And this poll was conducted after the conviction of Manafort and um, Michael Cohen's guilty plea. So uh, the pollsters are saying, you know, you, you, you never quite know what's causing things, but I would think that that would be it. Uh, his prop popularity breaks down totally along uh, partisan lines, uh, ethnicity and gender. 78% of Republicans think he's just doing great. 78%. Wow. 93% of Democrats uh, have an opposing view. And 59% of independents say they disapprove of him. He's down in the white vote, if this poll is any indication. Now 45% of white Americans back him. As you'll recall, he was elected with over 50%. Somehow or other, 19% of non-whites approve of him. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that this is, uh, it, the Americans are supporting uh, Mueller more than they, they were and are totally behind Sessions, which is interesting uh, to me. So... We'll see. I, I, I mean, I, I just, okay, it just slightly makes me feel better about my uh, fellow countrymen and uh, women. Uh, Chris is telling me my video is grainy and not in sync with my audio. Is anybody else having that problem? Just checking. Anybody else having the problem, let me know. Otherwise, Chris, uh, it'll be your problem. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm telling you, I'm feeling a little out of sorts, so maybe I'm out of focus because I feel out of focus. I mean, if you were to have a, a picture of how I'm actually feeling, it would look a little bit blurry today, which may you might be able to tell from my, my energy levels. I can hear it feels a bit down okay I'm, I'm plugging on though so stop saying so excuse me
Yesterday we had, uh, it is out of sync, I'm hearing. Well, that's interesting, because as I said, I am out of sync <laughs> today. <laughs> so, uh, well, I, I've just got one other person telling me out of sync, so that's two, and uh, and Milton agrees. Not sure what's going on, although you sound fine and your image is good. There's something going on with the synchronization of the audio and the video. On YouTube, it looks like a poorly dubbed Fellini film from the 70s. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's a new one, at least. We've never had this uh, problem. I don't know. We'll, we'll hope it uh, corrects itself uh, or we manage, and I, if it, I hope it doesn't bother you too much. Just don't look. Yesterday we had a guest uh, journalist uh, in Puerto Rico, uh, Hugo Marin, and uh, he was sobering us up about uh, the conditions there as uh, the Atlantic hurricane season uh, starts up. And he said, you know, that hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans have abandoned the island and uh, are here on the mainland. They're in the United States. I think the majority are in Florida and New York, although they are in other states as well. Some of those people who came here from Puerto Rico uh, in the wake of uh, Hurricane Maria came because uh, they had lost their homes, they had lost everything, and they were desperate and in need of shelter, and it couldn't even be found on their island. They managed to get out. And so they were given shelter by FEMA here, stateside. So there are tens of thousands of Puerto Ricans were placed in shelters here. Some of them are still in shelters here because they cannot find any place to live, and their own homes are still gone. Um, however, this is continues the uh, the bad news for these poor people. More than a thousand families of Puerto Ricans, so we're talking maybe 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people who have uh, been put up in hotels and motels being paid for by FEMA have been told they've got two more weeks and then they're being thrown out. They will be given no more assistance. And this went before a judge and the judge, and I don't understand why he said this, said he was legally obligated to acknowledge the government had the right to do what they were doing. And this was the, this was the judge's quote as he told these poor people they're about to be thrown out of the only shelter they have. Uh, while this is the result that I am compelled to find, the judge said, it is not necessarily the right result. He said the court can't order the government to do that which in a humanitarian world should be done. 
it can only order the defendants to do that which the law requires. In other words, he's saying if FEMA had a heart, if it was humane, it would continue to shelter these people. But FEMA does not have a heart, and it's tossing them out, and by law, they can. Um, let me interrupt to take the caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello? Oh, hi, Lynn. Hi. Hey. Oh, wait, let me mute your, I was watching you on YouTube, and look, first of all, I got to tell you, uh, turn up the caller's volume, because I got something to say. Turn up the callers, the callers volume because you've got something to say? Okay. That's right. Because whether you're in fuzzy focus or clear focus, you always look so fabulous. And I have to uh, uh, comment that you, I see that you've broken out the white outfit before Labor Day. Because <laughs> <laughs> don't they always say you're not supposed to wear white after labor? Well, I thought after it was that, just you're going to take a karate class afterwards. Okay, I no, I thought it was white shoes and handbags that you weren't supposed to do before. But all of those rules are out. Out. Does this I look? I don't like... know anything about hats on uh, hats on uh, the, the, the does it does... race day or whatever. Okay, whatever. But I can see you taking a karate class though later. You'll be like, hi Is that what they used to say? Wasn't there I a don't cologne know. called a high karate in like the sixties or seventies? It was like a men's cologne. And look, can we all agree that men and cologne do not mix? Please, men, stop wearing perfume. Can we stop that? Yeah. I would agree. I frankly think women should stop wearing it, too. I know. When I was, <coughs> I'll, I'll tell you this story later. It's a long story. But when I was in third grade, I, I started this uh, petition in my grade school in third grade. It was called PAP, People Against Perfume. I was like, I can't stand the smell of it. But anyway, that's not the reason I called. I called about your opening things, about the poll numbers, about the, the Yeah, pump. yeah. My thoughts are that this guy, look, he's based his whole presidency, his whole rise to fame, his whole life on this kind of reality show, Mark Burnett ratings thing, Let's um, whether it's the both people off the island or his apprentice. And I think that people are actually ready to move on and just vote him off the island. I'm hoping... That's what it is. The people have just been so bombarded. They're like, okay, we're ready for a new season. We Maybe we need a new crazy person. Who knows? But we're sick of this guy. Let's vote him off the island. Or it's like Big Brother. They want him out of the house, huh? Want him out of right. the house, off the island. Yeah, We've had it. Yeah, get him out of the house. He can release some tapes. <laughs> I'm sure he'll write a best-selling book written by somebody else. Totally is so great. He's going to, you know what? Hoping that's what it is. There's no doubt. This guy is going to end in jail. I want you to know that. He's not going to end I up in jail. Wait, why isn't Donald Rumsfeld in jail? Why isn't Dick Cheney in jail? Why isn't George Bush in jail? I don't know if he's going to end up in jail. Here's that. No, he is. You know why? He's going to end up in jail because of the, the New York City authorities and state authorities, as soon as he's out of the White House, they're going to go after him as a private citizen 
for being the crook that he is. And he is going to go to jail. If Michael Cohen's going to jail, I can assure you Donald Trump is going to jail. I hope that you're right, but I've had so many friends that lived in New York that were persecuted by Jared Kushner and forced out of their apartments because he bought the place and just you know, just destructed the place around them until they were thrown out. And those cases have been going on since the, the 80s or 90s, and Jared Kushner isn't in jail. Oh, I heard the other day they found they fined him $200,000. He's like, yeah, here, keep the change. I mean, what right, the fuck? right, right. If these people end up in jail, I hope you're right. And I would love nothing more than that, but I'm just hoping that they were just rid of them and they wrote it off the island. I don't care what island they put them on, it's great if they're in jail, but uh, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm setting my sights a little lower. Just get, them, get rid of them. Okay, in other words, we're going to cancel this show. The American people are about to yeah. cancel this one. Yeah, I, or no, move on to a new season with <laughs> new uh, characters. We're not going to cancel the show. The show never gets canceled. There's so much go on, but we have to, you know, get new characters. We're bored. <laughs> oh, God. People are really bored. No, I think people are really actually, this might be the breaking point for him, that people are actually just bored of him just saying the same thing over and over. And it's the same stupid line that's supposed to get applause or supposed to get a laugh. And you can see it even in his crowd that is a rallies. They're even now like, oh, lock her off, yeah, lock her off. They're kind of losing the enthusiasm for the same line. I think that's what's going to be his downfall. He's just overstayed his welcome, and he's doing bad in the ratings, very bad. <laughs> uh, love the call. Thank you. Thank you. Love you, Liz. Love you, you too. Later, Bye. <laughs> uh, uh, that was Michael from the Cynics. Chuck writes, it's hard not to be fascinated. I'm going to put my mouth behind the, um, behind the mic, and then the, the, the fact that my mouth isn't syncing up won't bother you as much. Uh, it's hard not to be fascinated by this McCain funeral, which has been so cleverly crafted to send all the right messages. Not only was Trump not invited... The BBC is now reporting that Sarah Palin was also purposely asked not to attend. I, for one, am looking forward to hearing George W. Bush and Barack Obama deliver eulogies at the National Cathedral tomorrow. Hearing Obama speak, for me, will be a feel-good moment, yeah, as short-lived as it will be. CNN is reporting today that White House sources are saying Trump is livid at the attention that McCain is getting this week. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. He has been pushed off center stage and watching somebody he loathes get all of these accolades and attention. And, um, and on top of it, Aretha Franklin now is, is uh, you know, her funeral's going on, and you got Bill Clinton talking there and all this other stuff going on. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, Russ says, you are out of sync, and we can barely hear the callers. Fuck. We're all fucked up, okay? I mean, what can I say? I don't know. 
Are you all having trouble with the callers? I, I feel like there's gremlins here all of a sudden. We'll, we'll see what we can do. We have, um, we lost our old like engineer. We've got a new guy in. He is trying to get to know the equipment. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, God knows I don't know. I just come in here and shoot my mouth off. So anyway, I was, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted you to know, given that we talked to the uh, Puerto Rican journalists yesterday, that, that these, we're, we're continuing to treat these people with such disdain. Um, you know, the judge actually having no ability to do anything but try to shame the government by saying a, a humanitarian uh, and caring world would not be doing this. But Trump's world is not a humanitarian world. Uh, many of those, uh, according to uh, the New York Times, many of the people who are going to be thrown out on the street are elderly, um, are suffering from chronic illnesses, uh, they don't have the money, the cost of living in the, the mainland is higher than what they were used to in Puerto Rico. They're poor people. They don't have the money. They can't find any place they can live. They say that waiting lists for affordable housing are often stretch on for eight, nine months, and they're going to be tossed out in two weeks. One of the people who's about to be tossed out does have a job. He's working for a transportation company, but he says, I'm not making enough to be able to afford an apartment. Um, lawyers who were, uh, who were trying to help these people, uh, they're with a group called Latino Justice, um, argued, and, and they argued correctly, that survivors um, of Hurricane Katrina, some of the Hurricane Katrina su uh, uh, survivors, uh, were put up in hotels for two and a half years. We're not even one year after Maria. We're close, but we're and 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 FEMA under Trump won't continue to shelter them. Unbelievable. Oh, Barbara says our, you know, the, the snafu is what fits us right now. Situation normal, all fucked up, right? I'm sorry. We'll try to get things together for Monday. We're not here. Uh, it's Labor Day. Joe Biden will be here. I mean, not here. He'll be in, in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> he gave a great um, eulogy yesterday, I thought. He's, he's very good at that. Really very good at that. Speaking of eulogies, the obituary of the day, ladies and gentlemen, a, a quickie. Uh, in the world of dance, this guy was simply huge. If you're not into dance, you don't give a damn. Uh, his name is Paul Taylor. His uh, Paul Taylor dance troupe 
or dance company, I, I believe was the proper name. Uh, without a doubt, one of the world's great, greatest. And um, he, one of the greatest uh, choreographers and dancers. In fact, other incredibly great choreographers would ask, <coughs> excuse me, Paul uh, Taylor, to come in and create roles uh, for them. And I'm talking about greats like uh, Merce Cunningham, Martha Graham, with whom he danced, and uh, George Balanchine. You can't get a triumvirate more extraordinary than that. Uh, Rudolf Nureyev uh, always uh, was willing uh, to be a guest in uh, anything Paul uh, Taylor asked him to do. Uh, Twyla Tharp, the great uh, dancer and choreographer with her own company, came out of Paul Taylor's dance. He was just huge in American dance. And the only other uh, thing I want to say about him is he was born in Wilkinsburg. Okay? <clears throat> I don't even want to tell you this. So, uh, uh Boeing is uh, is making uh, new uh, airplanes for airlines, passenger planes, and guess what they're doing? They're making the bathrooms smaller. There are some people who can't even get in the bathrooms as they exist now. I mean, it's the bathroom in the front of the plane is usually a little bigger than one in the back, but people in the back aren't supposed to use that one in the front. Um, and Boeing, when somebody tried to find out how just how small these bathrooms could possibly be, seeing as they're already incredibly small, uh, Boeing, it says in the Wall Street Journal, declined <clears throat> to release any dimensions. <coughs> Excuse me. This is not vocal fry. This is not vocal fry. This is me. It's my own kind. And if I didn't have to sound like this, believe me, I wouldn't. That young women want to sound like this is beyond me. <coughs> not helping at all. <coughs> what is this? I gave up smoking a million years ago. What is this? <clears throat> so Boeing won't even tell reporters how small the bathrooms are. So reporters then went to Delta, who's buying some of these planes, and said, so what are the configurations of these new bathrooms on these planes you're buying? And they said, uh, well, we don't really have that information. You'll have to go ask Boeing. <laughs> <clears throat> so nobody's going to tell us. I can't wait till someone gets literally stuck in one of those bathrooms. Cannot get out. It'll happen soon. As Americans get larger, why would you keep shrinking uh, the bathrooms and the seats and the... Well, what a silly question. Did she just ask that? Filthy lucre. Filthy lucre. Okay. Uh, talking about, God, I'm sorry, I'm belching. I'm, I'm, 
I am not feeling <laughs> Things are not good. In general, I think maybe my lips really are out of sync because I'm out of sync. I think it's probably not a technical problem. It's my own problem. Okay, guys. Hang in there. Uh you know the 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 theft of books from the rare book room at the Carnegie there in Oakland and um the whole thing like where the librarian took the books and walked them across Forbes Avenue and down Craig Street right into Caliban bookstore where uh, uh John Schulman who owned the bookstore would uh pay for those books and then find some other person into antiquarian books and sell it to them and stuff. That is, that trial will be here in Pittsburgh. That trial is is really getting international attention. It's huge because it's the most audacious, I guess, uh, such scheme and it's in a relatively rarefied small world. The world of, yeah, antiquarian books and booksellers and people who know of such things and spend lots of money uh, trying to get them. And there is an antiquarian booksellers association. So all these people know each other. And uh, and there's levels of trust that are built up, which um, is one of the ways these guys were able to pull this off. It was sort of always sort of a handshake, gentleman agreement, so that even if Shulman from Caliban Books would sell the, an extremely rare book that had been ripped off, stolen from the Carnegie, and someone who he's selling it to, another expert antiquarian would say hey but john there's a there's a library mark right here it says this belongs to the carnegie library and he would be able to say oh no 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 i know i know they i forget the word sort of like a decommissioned it or something like that and because it is a small little world in which everybody knows everybody and John Schulman was believable, they would say, oh, okay. And that's how they were able to like literally sell books that had the Carnegie stamped on the inside. The fact that no one would actually call the Carnegie and say, are you sure you like... Uh, um, the New York Times had another big story about it uh, the other day. And they talked about one book in particular. Oh, by the way, the head of Caliban Books, who's now, you know, he's looking at some serious jail time, uh, Schulman. I love that bookstore. I am so... I, what's going to happen to the bookstore? The bookstore will be gone. It's one of the neatest bookstores ever because it had all these unusual things, and I'm sure he didn't steal them all. I bought books there, lots of books there. 
Anyway, Shulman, you should know, and this is sort of funny, it's a funny aside, he not only was a member in good standing of the Antiquarian Booksellers uh, Association, but he was... <laughs> He was on the board of directors and had even led its ethics committee. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, you don't get much more, you know, well, John Schulman, the head of the ethics committee of the board of directors of the Antiquarian Society, said that this is perfectly okay, even though it says Carnegie Library, so people would buy. Um... One of the books was this book that was owned by Thomas Jefferson. It is a French history. It's a French in French book that Jefferson bought when he was in France. Uh, he was, if you'll recall, ambassador to France. And you'll recall he brought Sally Hemings with him. Uh, and this was before he became president. And Jefferson was there, and he bought the 1787 French first edition. Now, 1787 in France is a hell of a historical year. I think you got revolution stuff happening then. And you've got a first edition of a 1787 book uh, that was about France and the United States. It was called, and I can't say, De la France et des États-Unis. Uh, so that was the name of the book. And Jefferson had written his, his name inside. So it was his book. That book is a rare book. That book is a valuable book. And it's one of the books that this Greg Priori uh, who was the uh, librarian at the Carnegie, stuck into his pocket and walked out on the Forbes, across Forbes, down Craig, and right in the front door of Caliban Books. And John Schulman gave him a $1,000 for that book. Now, I got to tell you right now, this says something about uh, the librarian, Priori. If you're going to rip off rare books and accept $1,000, then you're not only a crook, you're an idiot crook. Because John Schulman turned around and sold that, and I'm surprised he didn't get more. He sold the book he, he paid 1000 for for 5000 which is, I guess, it's a nice markup. The guy he sold it to, another very respected uh, uh, antiquarian bookseller uh, who uh, is from Bartleby's Books, which I believe is in New York, he buys it for 5000 and then he turns around and sells it for 36000 to another bookstore. 
And all of these sales, you see how it continues to, you know, go up. And somebody then spots it online. And the asking price, $95,000. I mean... That makes sense to me, that asking price, 95000 That Shulman takes five for it strikes me as odd. That somebody else gets it for, 20, or for 36 strikes me as odd. Um, 95 And the guy who's going to jail for it, well, one of the guys, just gets a measly thou, and the other one gets a measly five. So, anyway, everybody's freaking out. Prominent bookshops from New York to London bought some of the stolen books. And uh, it says here it's, a, it's really a who's who of people in the rare book uh, industry who have passed uh, these, these books around. Amazing. Small-time crooks. Little Tony says, I hope they both get what's coming to them. This crime pissed me off big time. They stole those rare things from all of us. Maybe the bookseller's wife should be on trial as well. What she did, what? She didn't know a thing? I don't know. You know, they stole it from all of us, but as far as I understood, security in that, I mean, I think if you had gone into that rare book room and asked to see that book, I'm not so sure you could see it. Could you? I'm not so sure you couldn't, you, I don't know how you got into that room, if you needed uh, special permission or something, or you had to be a, uh, you know, somebody. Okay, I got a little stuff here that I thought was nice and easy, and I'm going to try. Wait, got another email here. Tim, why does no one point out vocal fry with Henry Kissinger? <laughs> that's not even vocal fry. That's a, that's a whole other animal. I don't know. That's growl. That is like, I've never heard anyone say it makes them sound unintelligent or weak. Oh. Yeah, right. Well, he's a man. Cannot stand listening to Henry Kissinger. Now, maybe part of it is the same reason, although part of it is he's Henry Kissinger. Uh, we got a caller. Hello. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Hey, I just want to say I agree with that. Uh, Michael, they call. I didn't get his name on. Mm -hmm. I always think of Trump as the lounge act. He's warming up when he does his, I call it stand-up, but it's pitiful. And some of the drunks enjoy it, and after a while it gets old. We wouldn't need a real star, and now we need a new real president. Basically what it is. Yeah. Well, there it's you go. No, it's just, yep. it. I don't know. In some ways, it's, it's, it is what America has come to, that we have become a totally commercialized, celebrity-driven 
culture. We're all about entertainment. All of that sort of comes together, you know, in this in this presidency. And even the narcissism, uh, being attracted to a narcissist like this comes is part of being an American now. Me, 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 me. You know, I, I don't know. It's in some ways we got the guy we deserved that is a perfect reflection of this horrible picture of what we are becoming or have become, but maybe still can self correct. I hope. And this thing with McCain, I, at first I thought it was over the top a little bit. But now that I know Trump's getting pissed off, I, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> God, he didn't like his getting all the attention. I love it. That's right. So I agree with yep. you. Right. Thank you. Okay. All Good right. Bye. Um, so speaking of McCain, he died. Um, well, you probably heard this. I mean, this is sort of a weird little confluence of events. John McCain died on August 25th of uh, the same disease that killed his good friend, Ted Kennedy, nine years earlier, who also died on August 25th, nine years earlier. They both die of the same disease on the same day. It's not unlike a more famous couple that we know of in our political history, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, the only two um, signers of the Declaration of Independence who became presidents. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on July 4th. It is weird the day they signed that document. They died on July 4th, 1826, the same day, the same year, and the 50th anniversary of their signing of the Declaration of Independence. Now, what are the odds? Seriously. And it shows what young men they were when they were the founding fathers, when they signed that document, because they lived 50 years beyond that day, both of them. Speaking of confluence of uh, death days, birthdays, I got a few more for you. I mean, if you were to make a list of the most significant men of the 19th century, I think Abraham Lincoln would make the cut, right? And Charles Darwin would make the cut. And they, too, were both born on the same day in the same year. On February 12th, 1809, with an ocean between them, both those little boys came into the world, Abraham Lincoln and Charles Darwin. Okay, more coincidence or strangeness? I have some more. 
the town of Codell, Kansas, which is a little teeny weeny town, always felt pretty lucky because it had never been hit by a tornado. You can see where this is going. Well, that luck ran out on uh, May 20th, 1916, when uh, Codell got hit by a tornado. And then, wouldn't you know, May 20th, the very next year, it got hit again. <laughs> so the next uh, May uh, 20th, uh, that would be then 1918, uh, the people of Codell sort of thought, maybe we better get the hell out of here. <laughs> Something's weird about this date. But they said, oh, pfft, don't be silly. It's all coincidence. And yes, a third tornado <laughs> on the same date, May seven, May twentieth, nineteen sixteen, May twentieth, nineteen seventeen, May twentieth, nineteen eighteen. I'm willing to bet that on May twentieth, nineteen nineteen, the people did get out of town, and of course, no tornado hit. <coughs> it hasn't been hit since. Okay, here's a really weird and disgusting, creepy, horrible one. But hang on, it's weird. Uh, creepy, I said. Well, so Edgar Allan Poe is part of this one. Edgar Allan Poe uh, actually wrote a novel. He was more a short story guy. His only novel was, and I never even heard of this, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of, Man of Nantucket. Not a great name, but that's the title of the only Edgar Allan Poe book. And that was published in 1838. And in the novel, <coughs> there's a shipwreck. And there are survivors of the wreck, and they are all starving. And they decide the only chance they have is if they draw lots and the loser gets killed and eaten by the others. So in the novel, the man who lost the bet was named Richard Parker. Now, cut ahead about 40 years, 50 years, 1884, a British yacht, uh, the Mignonette, uh, was lost in the South Atlantic. This is a true story. The survivors there, too, decided their only chance was to draw lots, and one of them was going to die so they could sustain with their flesh the other's. And the man they killed was named Richard Parker. The same name as the guy in Poe's novel who lost the bet. That's weird. I'm just saying. You want to hear some more? <coughs> Believe it or not, 
I got all these today from an unlikely source. The Wall Street Journal. <laughs> go figure. Under a headline that says, things that make you go, hmm. So, a few more. Because it sure is better than talking about reality. Well, this is reality. It's just odd. Um, okay. Uh, ever worry about a meteorite hitting your house? It doesn't happen very often. In fact, it happens next to never, which is interesting. But I guess, who knows? Anyway, houses have been hit by meteorites. Um, and in the United States, in the 20th century, there are only three such hits known to have happened. So in the entire expanse of the U.S. of A., in the entire expanse of the 20th century, there are only three documented cases of meteorites striking a house. But two of those three houses are in the same town. Now that's odd. And it's not even a big town. Not that that matters at this point. It's the town of Weathersfield, Connecticut. And both strikes happened 11 years apart. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, what else can I tell you here that's absurd? Okay, this one's a little creepy, too. Um, the building of Hoover Dam. You know, I have to tell you, for some reason, I don't know why it was, but a few weeks ago, I thought to myself, I saw a picture of Hoover Dam, and I thought, how the hell do you even start to build something like that? I mean, how the hell do you... See, there's a raging river, and you say, all right, well, we're going to get in there, and we're going to build this wall. I mean, how do you even do the first, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it just seems dangerous, to say the least. I mean, it seems impossible. Uh, but... Well, for that matter, bridges seem impossible to me. I mean, building is structural engineering. Jeez. I mean, it's just fascinating. And when you're a total dunderhead like me and you bother for a moment to imagine how you do that and you come up, you know, just empty. So it was weird because I was thinking about that a few weeks ago. And now it says here that, in fact, 112 men died uh, building uh, the Hoover Dam. And the very first person who died was a guy named J.C. Turney, who, uh, this was in 1922, and on December 20th, just to be specific. And he died in the, listen to what he was doing. He was doing like that very, those very first steps. He was surveying for a location for the dam. 
So he was doing his things, trying to figure it out, and he was dealing with the Colorado River, which is a big, treacherous river, and he got swept away. Just trying to figure out, now where do we put this thing? Okay, he's dead. First one, there would be 111 more men in uh, the, what is it, 13 years it took to build that dam. But J.C. Turney was the first, Tierney, I think, probably be pronounced, December 20th, 1922, was the first. The last guy incredibly died on December 20th, too. Perfect little circle. 13 years later, 1935 now. And he had fallen off an intake tower um, just a few days before the construction was totally completed. So he died in a fall. And the first guy, I guess, essentially got swept away. But those deaths happened on the same day. And here's what's really weird. The last guy who died was the son of the first guy who died. Isn't that weird? Well, it is. And there's too long a story to go into the fact that there is a woman and a man, both of whom survived the Titanic and then survived the sinking of her two sister ships. I didn't know she had them, but it was the HMS Hawk and the HMS Olympic or the Britannic. I don't know what I'm seeing here. And they were on, these two ended up on all those ships that went down and lived every time on board all three ships at the times of their misfortunes were Violet Jessup, a nurse, and Arthur John Priest, a stoker. Jeez. Okay, and I only have one more for you. This has to do with the start of World War I. And as we know, we all learned this in school, it was because somebody killed that Archduke, right? Uh, so you have Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was um, uh, heir to the uh, Austrian uh, throne, and he was assassinated while driving in his uh, car. And that all set off World War I, eventually. Um, that car had a license plate number. <laughs> this is the kind of thing people do when they play the lottery, right? The car had a license plate number. The number was 11111. One, 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 eight. 
the war, World War One, ended four years later when the armistice came into effect on 11, 11, 18. One, 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 eight. I love that stuff. You know, really. I mean, like, yeah, it's just it's coincidence. I guess. It's just coincidence, right? Otherwise, it's just sort of, you know, creepy. Oh, I didn't quite structure this right because now I'm left with nothing but horror. Um <clears throat> I'm not going there. So instead, no, it's just nothing but stuff you don't want to know. Ooh, here's something I just forgot I had. Um, but this is horror too, but I just want you to know. There is a woman who uh, is on the Republican Committee of Beaver County. That's right. Where is Beaver County? Is that north of here? I don't know. It's right near here. You can almost spit on it. This woman's on the Republican Committee of Beaver County. Her name is Carla Maloney. Say it, remember it, and shame this despicable woman. Okay? I just spit on them. Carla Maloney. Her Facebook page. Oh, my God. Here's some of the stuff Carla wrote. Tired of these overpaid, ignorant blacks telling me what I should believe in. I will tell you what I believe in, and that is our flag, the national anthem, and America, period, end of story. You don't like it here? Go back to Africa. See how you like it there. We are all Americans, not African Americans, not Hispanic Americans. We are all American. Then she goes on to predict there'll be a civil war, and it's going to start sooner rather than later. And then she went on decrying reverse racism. Oh, it's so hard, I know, being white in Beaver County where everyone else is white. Yeah. Oh, must be terrible for you there. Then she, uh, this is going, uh, if you want, oh my God, if you want respect, she's still on the players, if you want respect, you need to earn it. And so far you haven't. Stop watching or going to a game and paying for overpriced food, water, and tickets. Let's see how the baboons get paid when white people stop paying their salaries. It's just another nice Republican person on the Republican Committee of Beaver County. There, there they are. 
Now, the people on the Beaver County, uh, now the chairman of it, uh, has now told the newspaper, uh, well, she said those things before she was on, those comments do not reflect the opinions of the Republican Party as a whole. Yeah, maybe you could peel off two or three that it doesn't, but yeah, mostly, yes, it does. Uh, so anyway, just wanted you to know about her. An avid Trump supporter. Wow. There she is. Just uh, remember her. She's revolting, repulsive, disgusting, despicable uh, excuse for a human being and an American. Carla Maloney wouldn't know a patriot if... uh, I was going to say something disgusting, and I won't. I just wanted you to know about her, okay? And that's the last thing I'm talking about today. Despicable racist. One of gazillions, apparently, making up the party formerly known as the Grand Old Party and now what's known as the American Nazi Party. Pretty much. Okay, that's it for me. That's it for me. I want you guys to have a really nice uh, Labor Day weekend. And uh, I hope you don't do a lot of labor on it. And uh, I'll see you on on Tuesday. I'll look forward to it. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.